Welcome to the Network Collective. In this community roundtable, we are talking to Mara and Tom about peering relationships in the DFC. So sit back, relax, and join us as we talk about PGP peering in the real world. Sponsoring today's episode is Cumulus Networks. Cumulus makes networking software for the open, modern data center. They're doing some cool things in the networking space. And we'd like to tell you more about later on in the show. Well, welcome to another community roundtable, an exciting one, because we're going to be talking about the DFZ. And the first thing you got to figure out is, first of all, we have to pronounce Mara's name. So Mara, pronounce your name for us, because we're all lost. Hey, everybody. So I'm Mariana Nowakovich. And I come from Croatia. Oh, there you go. And then we have Tom Aminon, who's been on before. How are you doing tonight, Tom? Doing good. Doing good. Oh, Mara's the only one not in the East Coast tonight. She's on the West. She's on the left coast. We're all East Coast. Well, yes. Yvonne's in the middle someplace, and she's here. So that's okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yvonne's like regularly mobile now. She's all over the place. I know, she's I'm actually the place. at my desk tonight. Not <laughs> the oh, last the last episode I recorded with Yvonne, she was sitting in a car. I wish yeah. I was joking. It's true. In, in the, the parking lot of a pilot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now we know that either you have good Wi-Fi at pilot or your Wi-Fi on your phone is pretty good when you do tethering mode. Yeah, 4G is my friend. <laughs> Even at home sometimes. Anyway, let's talk about BGP. <laughs> yeah, sure, that'll be fun. So first of all, let's start. I said something earlier about the DFZ, and probably only five people listening to this know what that means. So who wants to define it? Go ahead, Tom. You look like you're ready to say something. Okay. So the DFC is the default-free zone. Um the, the language of how we describe network operators uh, sort of evolved over time, but um, we've, you guys have probably heard the tier one, tier two uh, nomenclature. And the classical definition of the DFC is that um, the DFC is the routing table shared by the tier one operators. They generally don't pay anybody for connectivity. They generally just peer among themselves and uh, other people pay them for access to the internet. So the DFC is, is those the table that those people um, share amongst themselves. That mythical thing, the internet, which really doesn't exist except in our minds. So let's go down the path of talking about peering. We talked about peering the DFZ. So I don't know who wants to start with this. What are the kinds of peering that you can get into? I know there's settlement, there's settlement free. And you know, the funny thing is we're going to get into this. People say peering and mean different things. So we need to kind of define what we're going to say on the show, because when I talk about two BGP speakers peering, I call it peering, but yet that has a very specialized meaning in some cases. Some people consider only settlement free to be peering. Other people consider only settlement to be peering. So maybe, uh, I don't know if that's a good place to start. Can we, but can we define those? That's what I was going to say. Let's yeah. start with defining like what, it, what are the kinds of peering you can get into uh, in the internet, in the core or along the edges and stuff like that. Silence. All right. Silence is not good. Somebody's got to take the answer here. <laughs> well, there's a, so there's a couple of kinds of peering. I'll just kind of rattle off and you guys have a better info interrupt me. But um, so peering in a broad sense, not in a protocol sense, but peering in a broad sense would be a relationship to exchange traffic between two autonomous systems. So that's BGP generally, um, pretty much always it's BGP. So if you if you have a private peering relationship with somebody, you, you connect with them, connect to them via a PNI, a private network interconnect. 
And um, basically that's when two operators are in the same physical space. Um, if they're both in the same in the same data center, then it's pretty easy. You run a cross connect between you, you plug your ports in, you establish a BGP session and you exchange routes. So that would be a private peering. Um, what I would call a public peering is when two entities are on the same exchange, um, and the same IXP fabric and IXP is an inner exchange provider. If you know, these, these exchange points sort of took over for the NAPs. You know, there were the, the network access points way back in the beginning. Um, <clears throat> and those sort of gave way to the IXPs and the IXPs are interesting. They give you a fabric where everybody who's interested in potentially peering with other people uh, pays for a port to the fabric and then they get access to peer with whoever's on that fabric. And um, it's public peering because there's lots of people there. Um, it's not a private interface. That interface um, shares the same layer two with everybody else that's on the fabric. Um, so that's that's how I see private and public peering. And then of course you have internet transit, which is when you pay somebody to give you a routing table and access to the internet. Okay, any further to add? There's open peering, right, Mara? Yeah, I just wanted to add to Tom and they also provide SLA, right? For the transit yes. providers. Yeah. Um, right. I would also right. like to add that uh, there is a subcategory uh, I like to put uh, paid peering under uh, transit because uh, we consider peering as something that's uh, free, right? But paid peering is when you are paying for just specific routes that you need, not necessarily uh, for the whole routing table. Okay, so you can get partials and pay for just the partials. You can get full tables, which would be transit pretty much, right? Is that what we would call it, right? Yeah. And then you can get free peering, but there's more than one kind of free peering. There's settlement free, and then there's open peering or peering that just is asymmetrical. So let's talk about asymmetry and symmetry and how that plays into peering a little bit. So I think Mara probably has the most experience with that because nobody knows that yet, but, but Mara does the peering for LinkedIn. So she knows a little yeah. bit about I, I might know a thing or two about it. <laughs> I also wanted to add one more thing. Uh, I don't know how you would categorize it, but it exists, right? And it's called remote peering. Do you guys know what's remote peering? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remote <laughs> peering is a very important one as well. So basically, when you're not physically in the same facility with uh, an exchange or a peer, and you need to have some kind of third-party provider that's going to interconnect you with them. So uh, I think most of the uh, companies that are using remote peering are the ones that are starting with peering with interconnection and uh, building their network, building their footprint, because it's much cheaper to start with something like that as opposed to putting a couple of millions of dollars just to build a pop somewhere to peer with my, maybe five or six big uh, peers that you need. Yeah, there's actually yet another one um, in, pay, in in remote peering, but we'll cover that. We'll go back through all of these, I think, and talk more specifically about each one as we go through. So talk to me about open peering, Mara. I mean, what is open, what, what would you consider to be, or is that even the right term that you would use for that? Uh, I think when you are joining the exchange, uh, there is a database called PeeringDB that has a collection of uh, most of the peers and the peering exchanges, the facilities in the world where you can do the peering. Peering, and they ask you what's your peering policy so it can be closed open selective so when you say open open means for me to peer with everybody right, right. Uh, doesn't require min minimum number of uh, uh, I don't know uh, uh, prefixes or, uh, or or specific uh, like amount of traffic so you peer with like with everybody 
as opposed to selective peering that has some specific requirements. Okay. So, so let's back up and let's just start with open peering. Describe to me why, for instance, I know LinkedIn does open peering. By the way, you can go to PeeringDB and you can look these things up and you can find out a lot of information about where everybody peers and what their peering policies are, or even a link. Most providers will also give you on their, on their webpage someplace what their peering policies are. So let's start with this concept first, America, because I know you're very experienced at this because this is what you do at LinkedIn. Um, and tell us, like, why does LinkedIn, why would a, a content provider like LinkedIn or anybody else, for that example, the CDN would do this as well, a content distribution network, go out and do these open peering arrangements where you peer with whoever wants to? So um, content provider is an interesting uh, type of organization. It's, a, it's still a provider, right? And our goal is to share our platform to be available in every corner of the world. And sometimes if you don't uh, leverage CDN, it can be very challenging. You're supposed to be available everywhere without a global footprint. Uh, using uh, internet exchanges is... Um, actually much cheaper than transit, especially back in the old days when transit was considered as a, uh, something very expensive. Uh, currently, uh, thanks to peering, the prices between transit and peering are leveraging. They are, you know, reaching out the critical point, especially if you have large amount of traffic. It's very easy to lose the limit, uh, to lose the border between the two. And, but it's also for speed for your customers, right? It's also exactly. want eyeballs to be closer to your yes. network. Right. Yes, that's, I agree. That's what I think is really interesting about peering is that um, LinkedIn comes at it from a different angle than I do. So my perspective is from that of a, a network operator, um, an ISP. So, you know, LinkedIn wants to do it presumably to get the content closer to the eyeballs to get better performance, all of those advantages. Um, someone in my position does it uh, primarily because as a growing organization, it's cheaper than transit. I mean, it's a pretty simple economic um, motivation. The thing that I think is really cool is that we can have pretty different interests, but still use this common instrument called uh, called peering to meet both of our goals. And I think that's, I don't know, I just think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is neat. So, so describe to me like this peering process and what is unique about this like open peering or just peering and like describe it in terms of settlement, non-settlement, and in terms of like traffic flows, because that's where a lot of this comes out of, right? It's just the way the traffic flows which, uh, across the peering um, exchange or across the, uh, across the interconnect between the providers. So there are a couple of conferences in the world that uh, were made so people can meet and greet and peer better. They are usually called meeting forums, but you can also find this kind of, uh, these types of tracks, peering tracks uh, on specific network operator groups, events as well, like Apricot, Nanog, Lacnic, and things like that. Uh, basically, you put a lot of people in uh, one room and you try to organize a table where people sit and discuss uh, how they want to exchange the traffic. Um, yeah. So, so physically, how does it happen though? I mean, if I were going to say, I want to peer with, I want to like, I'm LinkedIn or, um, who do you, uh, your, 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 your AS wants to peer with somebody, but wants to do it on an asymmetrical or settlement free way. It's not even really settlement free. That's not really the right term because settlement free has a specific meaning, but, um, if you go to an internet exchange point and you want to peer with someone, how does this actually work? 
So I would like to explain the whole procedure. How do you decide to go on an exchange? It's not just joining an exchange. First, you have to understand uh, what kind of customers you have and where are they, right? In which region? Uh, how do you cover, cover this region? Do you need to build a pop or you can leverage remote peering? Um, in case if you have uh, smaller requirements, lesser traffic, and if your content is not uh, latency sensitive, you can actually uh, solve a big uh, part of the problem using remote peering. If you can't, then you're stuck with deploying your own uh, network inside of a pop, right? So how do you how do you find a right pop? Is it uh, is it like um, there are a couple of providers in the world, and uh, the most rich uh, uh, regions are uh, Europe and USA? I dare to say that Europe is much better than the USA, but they are getting there, too, right? And regarding, I see that you have a comment. No, no, no. You're smiling. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, it's true. The the IX the IXs the Internet Exchange points in in Europe are much stronger than they are in the U.S. I think that's a historical accident. They are in Blacknick area as well. Um, the IXs are much stronger in Latin America than they are in the U.S. And I think that's just historically the way the cables have been run and business has been run between these different geographic regions. There's a lot of history. Yeah, especially yeah. like in data centers. Um, when you pick a data center there are a couple of things you have to be sure that you have enough space and power uh, that you have peers that you want to peer with not only on the exchange but uh, like for private peering as well if you have uh, agreement with other transit providers and if they are in that data center as well of course that leverage the decision that you have to bring as well so there are actually multiple factors it's not like saying hey um, I'll just use a couple of examples three uh, largest internet exchanges in uh, Europe are um, six links and uh, DKICs. And if you want to peer with somebody, uh, let's just say uh, I have only a couple of pops in Europe and I have to reach all the countries, those three uh, um, exchanges would be the best one. Uh, that said, I have to mention INEX, which is the largest uh, Irish internet exchange, which I'm a board director of. <laughs> So please peer there as well. <laughs> Your little mini advertisement. I was going to say that was a nice little plug. Well done. Yeah, that was. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. So, Tom, so once, Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I'll just be quick. Uh, yeah, uh, so there is like a multiple uh, uh, step uh, procedure you have to take. But uh, to do all this, you have to know what you want. What's your goal? It's not like, uh, I think I need to peer. Uh, I, I don't know where to go you just need to understand who are your customers especially if you're a content provider and the type of the content that you're providing is it text pictures video if it's video streaming that's very latency sensitive if you're a gaming uh, company that's very very important okay so tom from your perspective is it pretty much the same it wouldn't be the same right you would choose based on upstream rather than the customers that you can reach right so tell me about that right. a little bit Right, right. So from an operator's perspective, especially an eyeball network operator, um, you have all these eyeballs and they want all this content. And when you pretty much when you appear with somebody, you're going to be looking to it's it's all going to be um, downstream. Like it's the demand is all in the downstream direction. And so um, it's we don't I mean, it's kind of funny, but we don't really our concern isn't so much about the end user experience, but our concern is about um just connecting our network in such a way that we can minimize our cost and, um, and all of that. And so 
So, so, so why, so why does peering minimize your cost? Let's back up a little bit. Cause we, cause sure. we've still gotten to the point of talking about symmetric and asymmetric traffic, which is going to make the difference between paid peering or settlement and settlement free. Right. And now, so right. what Mara is talking about is one world, which is I'm an, I'm a content provider and I'm trying to reach all of my eyeballs as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible. So there's still some upstream cost. from your perspective. You're more concerned about your upstream costs specifically um, so maybe right because if we don't if we don't peer with somebody like LinkedIn, then that traffic is going to get to us, but it's going to get to us over paid transit links, and and it's not all about um, the money, but it is all about the money. And but we but we do. I mean, I mean, you, you build you build a network You're specifically right. to make money. I mean, like there's no shame in right. that. I like agree. that's what a provider does, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. And so the, the economics of it says that if you can do it cheaper and deliver a better service or de- deliver the same service, you should do it that way. So you're saying that the IX offers that opportunity. Yeah, and I guess and I guess that's what I'm getting at is is we want the applications to perform well because we want our customers to be happy and stay with us, of course. And so it's it's a very nice, efficient mechanism. It allows us to accomplish both of those goals. Um, at the same time. And from my perspective, you know, the, the, the place you go, it's just NetFlow data, really. I mean, you go figure out where your traffic's coming from, which ASs are originating the traffic coming in towards your eyeballs and um, go seek those people out. Go to the places, go to the NOGs, go to the, the peering forums and, um, you know, have a good reason to talk to somebody. And, um, you know, there's a whole, there's a, you know, Mara knows this better than I do, I'm sure, but there's a whole, it's, it's like high school dating in some ways. Um, you got to go and get to know people and flirt around like a little bit. Speed, speed dating. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. That's one way of putting it. So for you also, Tom, I would think there's a regional um, aspect of this, right? Like you don't want to pay a transit provider to get stuff to another eyeball. Like if you have peer-to-peer traffic or even um, some sort of streaming video or something, you don't want to pay a transit provider to get to somebody who's local to you right? Who's within the same region as you. Cause that doesn't right. make sense. You're paying for upstream when there's no reason to pay for upstream in that case. Right. Right. Which brings up another sort of design question, which is um, if you're talking about an eyeball network, how is it built? And if you're multi-region, how do you, how do you handle your, you know, your peering arrangements and generally it's kind of the opposite of hot potato routing. I mean, the opposite direction of hot potato routing, but you treat it with the same philosophy and you say, I'm, I'm going to peer at all these different places. I have to peer in each region so that I'm not backhauling this traffic because if I have to backhaul it across lit service, for example, then I didn't really gain anything. So um, it's kind of a, but, but generally when you go to peer with, with people and, and, and some operators, um, I mean, some content providers and other operators won't peer with you unless you have uh, multiple, uh, multiple pops. Um, some will, but some won't. So. Right. right. So now you've got to explain hot potato and cold potato and mashed nope. potato because, because, <laughs> Nobody listening to this is going to, I mean, they may have a general clue, but it's not going to be as, as, as well formed as. We have talked about those before, but I think a refresh will be good. Yeah. 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 I mean, so hot potato routing basically says get the traffic off of your backbone as fast as you can. So if you look at it from the standpoint of the service provider, um, the stuff coming in from the users, from the eyeballs, um, you want to get those requests off of your network um, just get it out as fast as you can because you're paying to transport those bits every bit mile you're sending them. And so the quicker you can get it off of your network and onto either a transit provider or a peer, uh, the better you'll be. Um, it'll just be cheaper. And this is not really so much of a concern when you're in a single region, but when you get into multiple regions, then you have to start thinking about that. So, right. so that would be hot potato routing. And then 
mashed potato routing. I don't know. I've got to think about that. Probably <laughs> well, some fun things. Hot we potato could... routing is I want to keep it in my network, right? Hot potato is I want to get it out of my network. Right. Whole potato is I want to keep it. So most content providers like LinkedIn or Microsoft or whoever will say, I want cold potato routing. I want, once it's in my network, I want to control the traffic on my network because that helps me control the quality of the experience of that user and fine grain tune it and get it to the right data center and terminate the traffic in the right place. Um, and yeah, the it, cloud the cloud service providers are a perfect example of uh, cold potato routing. That's, right. that's what they want. Yeah, that's what they want. And even if you are a non-transit provider and you are multi-regional, you may have reason if you have a business customer that's in both locations and happens to buy service from you, you don't really want to push that traffic upstream to another provider. Again, you're trying to control the experience of that business customer who's writing you a check to transport that traffic. So you go cold potato in that in that particular situation. And mashed potato just means, you know, <laughs> when you don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. That's <laughs> yeah. what happens when Russ is on your network. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I think this is a good uh, spot to take a break um, and uh, tell everyone about today's sponsor. Cumulus Networks makes networking software for the open, modern data center. It's the only open networking software that allows you to affordably build and efficiently operate your network like the world's largest data center operators, unlocking vertical networking stacks. When this is combined with something like NetQ, an operational fabric management tool, organizations can take advantage of deeper analytics and advanced telemetry to increase visibility across the network and ultimately reduce mean time to resolution. Cumulus Networks wants you to build something epic. Whether you're scaling your data center network or designing the next big thing, you have your sights set on building something that matters. To do that, you'll need to use the absolute best resources. And this is where Cumulus comes in. Cumulus offers modern networking software for people like you, people who have the vision and the desire to build something epic. If you'd like to learn more about how Cumulus Networks can help you build something epic, you should check out cumulusnetworks.com epic. Again, that's cumulusnetworks.com epic. All right, so we've talked a little bit about peering of various kinds. So talk to me about settlement versus settlement free, because this is confusing to a lot of people like, when do you pay, when, when do providers pay each other and when don't they pay each other? So let's, let's give my version of the story. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you don't have to pay, of course, uh, nobody will pay. They don't pay. <laughs> exactly. And Tom mentioned that uh, there are tier one providers that exchange traffic for free, for free between each other. And uh, there's always, uh, and I remember when I was studying this at the university, the big question was, who are those big seven? And if mm -hmm. you go on a, um, on a global peering forum or a European peering forum uh, or Asia peering forum and you ask who are those big seven, it's always different answer. You know, it's, it's, somebody say, yeah, 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 I'm tier one. Yeah, of course, you know, nobody wants to be tier two. Yeah. So that's another big question. Uh, are there actually tier one uh, or there's some kind of mix between tier one and tier two, especially now, uh, like if I, if I, take uh, China and uh, their service providers, they're huge. They have like China mobile has over 800 million users just from the mobile. That's something wow. amazing, yeah. right? That yeah. is a really large number. Wow. Really large number. <laughs> I can't imagine having many subscribers on your network. That's yeah. So yeah. I, I think the tier one, tier two thing has gone away. I think what you end up with instead is you used to have settlement free and settlement peering. Like if I'm going to peer with you at this particular point, and I think that my traffic is going to be equal in both directions. 
then I will set up a settlement free peering and nobody pays because it's not worth the accounting effort. But, so settlement free is where both both parties get some advantage out of the arrangement. That's right. And the traffic is generally equal. In both right. Directions. Like there's not one person taking advantage and sending a lot more traffic than what right. they're receiving and having to handle themselves. And this but it is, also depends. Sorry. It also depends on the type of the traffic, right? Right. Well, and the value of it. Say. Yeah. Like right. there, there could be a value, even though it, it may be asymmetric. Um, exactly. Like content providers of some kind. Yeah. Like right. Netflix, for example. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Content providers tend to get settlement free um, because their traffic is valuable to the to the eyeball network in various ways. And as Tom said, it's partially because you don't want to pay for the upstream to get that traffic to you. Right. It's crazy. You don't want to pay the upstream for that traffic when you can just peer directly to the content provider. But if you like go read. um Charter Communications, and they have this big, long document. It must be 20 pages talking about when they'll settlement free with peer with somebody, right? And in there, it says, you must have equal amounts of traffic with us. We must send you the same amount of traffic as you send us. And so there is that situation as well, where a provider will say, we'll do settlement free with you, but only if the traffic is equal. And I think this is where you're talking like the big seven, Mayor, is that they they tend to do that, like... AT&T and Verizon are going to have the same amount of traffic going to each other. So they just peer and forget it. Right. In but, the, right. So, so does, do, do our connections, do they flow back and forth? Is that a fluid state? Like, are they always settlement free or does that change if the state of the traffic changes and does that create interesting situations? It does change. And then what happens is that the provider will use communities and local prep and stuff like that to try to force the traffic to rebalance so they don't go into a settlement situation year over year. So sometimes you'll see your traffic take weird paths and it's because AT&T and Verizon have appeared someplace and, you know, AT&T looks at their numbers and goes, oh, I have too much traffic going up across this peering point to Verizon this year. I've got to back that off so they'll redirect the traffic around some other place. So they end up paying another provider money. Um, so there, there's a lot of tricks that go into this that are... And uh, also, uh, if the links are running hot, if you have a saturation because of, I don't know, yeah. a football match or something, they will just, let's say, deprioritize other traffic and push it somewhere else, which can, which can impact your latency. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So this is all very tricky in there. So Tom, do you have any settlement free? Or are you all, other than content providers and stuff, or is it an edge network? I think you're mostly an edge network, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say most of it is content providers. Um, yeah. And there's another interesting aspect of this is and the content providers have been doing this for a little while now, but uh, they're, they're um, starting to embed their CDNs inside of as many networks as they can get them in, right? Um, lots of people do this. Uh, Netflix has built their own CDN, Akamai, of course. Um, and that's a, also adds another interesting uh, dimension to it because they, you know, once they stick their their edge node into your network as a, as a, as an ISP, then now you're not using the, uh, the interconnect, you're not using the peering to, um, to backhaul the traffic from the eyeballs to the content provider, you're using it to uh, fill up the cache. And so it creates another interesting dynamic where it's kind of, it, it lets, gives you a lot of efficiency because the cache bills in the middle of the night. And um, now that that peering point that you've been using is is free to take other types of traffic where maybe you don't have um, that provider's edge or that provider's CDN embedded in your network. Yeah. 
So it's another interesting. So, so this is actually the genesis of fog computing or edge computing, because going beyond just caching, you can actually terminate the user's TCP session in that CDN box, so to speak. It's not really a CDN box any longer. It actually has compute and memory on it. And you can strip off all of the HTML and images and everything that, that's got to be shipped back and just ship back just a few commands back to the main data center and then push it back out, you know, push back out the information you need. So it's a lot more efficient. This is actually kind of where things um, get into fog and edge a little bit. Um, people think that, uh, you know, vendors just made that up. They really didn't. This really came out of the content provider world and CDN world by and large. So Mary, you want to talk about transport and performance. So what, what is going on there? So we were speaking about hot and cold potato, and I just wanted to say that um, it's actually quite important not just to bring the traffic to your uh, network, you know, on the edge, but also how you route it back to the data center. And people usually think, okay, I'm just going to appear on an exchange and I'm going to speed things up the maximum as possible. But if your edge pop is very far from the data center, you also have negative latency pop, uh, uh, points in that direction as well. So it's it's quite important when you're planning the whole path to optimize it, uh, you know, the most. Uh, otherwise, uh, even if you go somewhere, build a pop and peer with somebody, it's not necessarily going to give you the results that you want. Yeah. So from an edge, is that? I mean, how do you see that from your from the edge? Um, uh, as mentioned, basically, uh, you have the edge pop that has uh, that has the peering and the transit part and. Uh, the traffic is shifted, uh, you know, to the corp uh, routers that then push it back to the data center. I think there are multiple different ways how you can do it in the industry. Somebody separate this, somebody keep it on the same device. It all depends on the size of the network, the heaviness of the traffic that you're shifting and so on. Right, right. So, I mean, from your perspective, Tom, do you push traffic in and out of pairing points like that? And into and out of CDNs and stuff like this, do you try to manage that traffic in any way that's more interesting than just shipping it across the network shortest path? Uh, no, generally it's get it in and get it to where it's going as quick as you can. Okay, interesting. I know that different people do, do some things with communities and local prep and stuff like that to try to keep links from getting too hot or regions from getting too hot and stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, generally it's just cheaper to... Uh, from my perspective, it's just cheaper to upgrade the links than to try and shift the, I mean, and especially where we're at in, um, you know, ethernet speeds now, um, we're getting on the edge where the next step up is going to be, it's going to be a lot cheaper to just go hundred gig or go 400 gig. And I don't know, bandwidth, sounds, bandwidth solves a lot of problems, I think. Yeah. So used to be quality of service was, was because you were too cheap to upgrade the link. Now it's getting to the point that traffic engineering is, is because you're too cheap to upgrade the link. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I mean, that's been the answer for network engineers for years, right? Is that there are only so many ways to fix this problem and the best one is usually more bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's validity in that a lot. So let's talk about remote peering. Remote peering is pretty interesting because this is kind of a newish thing. I don't remember this happening a lot in my younger days, um, which were a long time ago. Just go ahead, just say it. It's okay. <laughs> You're old. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mara. There was no bashfulness in that at all. That was not, oh, no, no, not at all. Yeah. No hesitancy. <laughs> so... 
So um, talk to us about remote peering a little bit. Um, I know Mara does a good bit of this. I don't know if Tom does any remote peering or deals with remote peers at all, but start with you, Mara. What, what's up with remote peering nowadays? I, I like, uh, you know, when remote peering started, uh, I'm trying to think uh, maybe around 10 years ago or so, uh, you had two, two sides, two uh, sides, two streams. Uh, one is pro and the other one was contra, right? And uh, usually when you have a small network and uh, you cannot justify the budget to build a big pop, you know, as I said, for five, six peers, you need some kind of um, middle solution, you know, to enable to reach out to the end users, but not to spend too much money. And to do that, uh, uh, I think the first company that uh, started with remote uh, peering was iXReach. And uh, they said, okay, we can bring you, you know, if you're not in this uh, data center, we can bring you there and you can interconnect to the exchange. And when you're ready, when your traffic grows, when your uh, number of the users grow, you can go and build your own pub there, right? And it's actually quite popular and it enables you to move fast and cheap, right? Uh, so, you know what they say, I can do it uh, good, fast, and cheap, pick any two. Uh, of course, when you do remote peering, uh, the latency will have some kind of penalty. It depends where you peer. You know, uh, that's why you need to know your traffic well. Like, what's the limit you can go to? If, it, if it's going to add you five milliseconds, if you're going to lose five milliseconds, then then okay, right? But if you're going to go 500 milliseconds, of course, that, that's not solving the problem. So you have to understand uh, from your side, what, what, are, what is the penalty that you can take regarding the latency if you decide to move into remote peering? Um, but well, there's a, yes? I was going to say, there's another piece to remote peering too, from what I remember. The places I've seen it used are not just because you don't have a, a point of presence, but also because Peering in some places is extraordinarily expensive. So you might peer one or two hops away from where you ultimately want to go. And then you use some remote peering tricks to get you past a point where the peering would be really expensive. Is that? And uh, I would, there are a lot of, there are multiple uh, scenarios. One of them is like, if you want to join an exchange, but there's no space in the data center, how are you going to join it? You can't, mm -hmm. Right. Somebody has to bring you there. I know that in Hong Kong, uh, famous HKIX Internet Exchange, uh, Equinix built their own data center in Hong Kong and they had their own exchange, but a lot of local uh, peers were still in HKIX. So you have to find a way how to, you know, uh, bring yourself there in a different data center to peer with all those local uh, peers. So as mentioned, there are multiple scenarios. You just need to know what you're doing. And on the other side, uh, as I mentioned, so there are people who say, okay, I, I need remote peering, it's working for me. On the other side, you have uh, ISP guys, CDN guys, whose business is to bring you as close to, to the edge as possible, who are earning money on the performance and the latency. And they're like, no, remote peering doesn't work. Of course it doesn't. For that use case, it doesn't work, right? So it, I guess it's a very good start if you want to learn how to peer and if you want to build your network, remote peering can be quite good. And it was very beneficial for the internet exchanges uh, as well because they they managed to grow. They managed to have more members even if they were not you know, in the same facility for various reasons. Yeah, so cool. So remote peering, anything on that one, Tom, before we move on to the next little... Well, just I think one of the uh, 
evolutions that's happening right now, remote peering is getting a lot easier because the exchanges are spreading all way beyond their original geographic boundaries, right? DKIX and, and, and AMZIX, those are, those, those both have multiple locations in the United States now. Um, and other, it's, it seems to be a growing practice. I don't Mari, you probably know better, but it, it seems to be a growing practice that they're saying, look, our exchange is everywhere. You can, you can remote peer, but it looks, it's a layer two fabric and it looks just like you're physically there. It's, it's not even hard anymore. Um, and I think that's, I think that's going to be really interesting. I've, I've even seen, I've been approached by even very small exchanges, um, building out, they, they have like two pots and they're, they're building into a third data center and they're like, Hey, as part of this, we're going to do, you know, we're going to stretch our layer two and we're going to give you, um, you know, give you remote peering really easy. And, um, seems like everybody's doing it. So. Wow. Yeah, and it's very beneficial for tier two ISPs. A lot of them are reselling the, the service. So, you know, it's enabling them to survive somehow, even if they don't have the big customers. I realized I just said a dirty word. I said stretch layer two. I was going to say, you know, I'm sorry, but that's what it is. It, it, it depends on well, who you talk to because uh, I find that a lot of peering transport. It's, it yeah. maybe looks uh, like paradoxical, but it's like peering transport. They're bringing you to peer. I know lots of service provider guys who are like, absolutely stretch layer two all day, every day we'll, we'll deliver it. I think that they don't deal with the applications across layer two, right. which exactly. is why, yeah, I mean, we can get the traffic anywhere we want to. When you start having to run applications across, it just starts getting wonky. So yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. So kind of a specialized, I want to say kind of a specialized, it's kind of a, an outgrowth of remote peering, I think, is um, this whole concept of cloud exchanges and this whole concept of, um, bringing customers into an exchange to connect directly to a cloud service. So talk to me a little bit about this, because this is pretty interesting. I've seen Equinix and Colt. I think we're really kind of beginning. Uh, we're probably the two of the companies that were starting this early on. Um, but I know a lot of other exchange providers are doing it now. Or, okay. Yeah, I think okay. I think that's a mere question. <laughs> I, I think uh, uh, you know every every few five seven years there's something new happening in the interconnection world, and I think uh, cloud exchanges are the next uh, big thing. Well, are already, and uh, if you if you ask yourself what's this cloud exchange like, who benefits from that? So if you compare it to the internet exchange. Who is on the internet exchange? You have ISPs, CDNs, content providers, and they just peer. And how many networks like this you have in the world? Not so many, right? But then if you think that you have all this uh, world of undiscovered enterprises that are waiting to connect to something, you know, and how, how are they interconnected? Like what's happening there? So before you didn't have big cloud providers, they didn't have developed product and so on and so on. And then you started to have uh, big names like AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, et cetera, et cetera, Alibaba. Uh, and uh, so what, what do they do? Uh, every uh, enterprise wants to have their services in the cloud, right? And how do they interconnect to the cloud? So just like for remote peering, you have, uh, transport providers that are bringing you to an exchange in a data center. You don't have to build a box. Pay well, somebody it's, to do it for you. It's, it's not just that. I mean, a lot of a lot of the enterprises are in these colos. So when we talk about Equinix, right? So Equinix is a very large provider for enterprise data center space where people are in these colos already. So it makes a ton of sense for them to offer cloud connectivity because it literally is just setting up a cross connect. 
to a cage that's at some other place on the floor or some other floor, you know, it, it's within the building quite literally. And then you can have your peering yes. rather than setting up transit. I mean, it's just like the same concept when you talk about IX when it comes to providers. But now it's we're, a point to point, yeah. Point to and point, uh, private peering right there between the two. Because I mean, before that or without that, you had either VPN into the cloud, right? So exactly. you're, you're going to yeah. pay for internet transit and it's going to have all the reliability or unreliability that comes with that. Um, and then you could have a direct connection, but now I'm building a circuit, something in a, in a colo makes a lot more sense because you likely are already there and you, you have to build transit there. It's relatively cheap to build transit to these colo spaces because just so many people do the, the resources are there. It's not building it to some random place. And, and they're built in places where transit is yeah. available by and large. It gives, and it gives the additional value to the data center as well, because, uh, the more cross connects you have, you know? Oh, Absolutely. It's, I've it's heard, a gravity I've heard. issue, right? <laughs> the more people are there, the more people want to be there. Yeah. And then if, um, you know, and, and, and a lease line to a cloud is one thing, but when you're peering with two or three or four, um, then all of a sudden using an exchange makes a lot of sense um, just from a connectivity and cost perspective. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think, but so cloud exchanges are really cool, but they're, but they're definitely not the only, um, option open to enterprises. So if enterprises want to participate in a cloud exchange, that's, that's great, but they can also benefit, I think, from the traditional IXPs as well. Um, in that same scenario, when you're in the data center where the IXP is and where a lot of other people are, um, or just if you're in the same data center as a content service provider, um, if you, you know, if you look at your net flow and you see that a bunch of this traffic is going to LinkedIn, um, it's probably worth it to you to, you know, pretend like you're a service provider and go call up LinkedIn and say, Hey, I want to appear with you and, um, take the, you know, take the traffic off of your transit links. Um, still do the cloud exchange thing. Cause you've got, you're going to have your assets in the cloud that you can, but you can still reach out uh, directly and, and do the, do the traditional pairing thing. And, um, and, and it also depends on what your business is. I, I've worked in large enterprises where um, the internet is their business. And so um, it's just obvious that we're going to peer with Google. We're going to peer with a, a bunch of other content providers because we actually need it for our product to work. Um, but I think, I think that's something that enterprises could benefit from is look at your net flow. Look at, I keep saying net flow, but look at your, look at your metrics and see, you know, where your traffic's going and try, try to peer with the people that your traffic's going to. Um, they'll, they'll probably say yes in a lot of cases. Yeah. I think the, I think the challenge there traditionally has been, you know, uh, cost versus benefit. I think that's a clear cut thing for a content provider. It's a clear cut thing for a service provider, but for an enterprise to build to an IX, there needs to be a good reason, right? Like there needs to be yeah. enough traffic and enough resources at the IX to, to go to. Now, well, if you, you wouldn't, if you have IX in your backyard, right? right? And it costs you nothing to get in there and it's relatively inexpensive. Well, yeah, or, absolutely. Why not? Or if you're already in the IX because you're running a data center, you're co well, and This, this yeah, was, this right. was the Equinix story when it comes to cloud right. connect. It's like, Oh, we already have a large majority of the enterprises sitting in our data centers anyway. Why don't we bring in the clouds and just connect them all right here and, and, and do that and make money off of that too. Right. It makes complete sense. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if you're already there, you should consider it. But like, uh, Establishing new peerings, like the idea of, of stepping into something like an IX, if you have that type of stuff. I mean, it's just a cost benefit. Just, I mean, it's that, that way for service providers and content providers too. I just think that the math usually works out for them. <laughs> Where I don't yeah. know the math always works out for enterprise, right? It just depends well, on what the profile looks like. 
The other challenge that you run into in the enterprise too, depending on what their line of business is and who the top level decision makers are, they may really not understand the equation. Like it, it sometimes it's difficult to explain the value um, to leadership in an organization that's less technical and more focused on, you know, a different line of business. So that can also be a challenge to, to, to make the argument. You, you've got to be clear and plain and, and really focus on the dollars and cents of it. Well, you say management. I think it's probably true for technology. I think a large majority of the people who are listening to this podcast or who work at enterprises probably haven't considered this world at all just because it hasn't come across their radar. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, this is out there. It's worth considering. Um, if you can make the math work, I think it's uphill all the way. Right? It's not just management. I think technology is involved in that in that chain as well, just because enterprises haven't really considered this. I, I just don't see it often at all. I, I work in a lot of enterprises. None of them are talking to me about exchange, right? And peering right. like that, that's just not something that's even on their radar. Uh, even with uh, some very large, very technically capable enterprises, it's just not something they've really even considered. Well, I know, Tom, I know Tom was in this position, right? Tom was, Tom was in a position where it was being, you were in a company where you were doing this, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I worked for a large software company that, uh, did lots and lots of business with um, content providers. Um, and, and, you know, there were times where latency was really critical for the product to work, um, you know, and that's a, a clear benefit of pairing with somebody. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, and it depends on what you're doing. I mean, if you're, if you're, if your revenue comes from delivering um, stuff that depends on connectivity, then um, you're much more likely to see a benefit from this stuff. If you're building widgets and shipping widgets and, and the internet is just part of uh, communicating with customers in sort of an out of band sort of way, um, then maybe you won't see as much benefit, but you still might. I mean, really, if you, if you go look at what your network is doing and half of your traffic is, I don't know if it would be like this, sorry, Mara, but, but half your traffic is probably not LinkedIn. Um, but, but, but I'd imagine that it was, and then you took those bits off of your metered transit links and put them onto, you know, free, free peering. The math starts to, I mean, free in air quotes. I've got my air quotes. <laughs> the peering doesn't cost anything. Getting an IX does. Yes, right. 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 Yes, exactly. Well, and, and, and the, the other thing I think this highlights is uh, co-location facilities. Um, I think enterprises are going to be building in co-location facilities for a long time. Um, I think that's why the vendors are spending so much effort talking about hybrid cloud. And so we're going to be selecting data centers. Enterprises are going to be selecting commercial data centers. And it is a strategic decision. This is not just a go do a Google search and the cheapest one, buy it, um, you know, go to where the people are, go to where well, the, the clouds and connectivity are. Really great point. <laughs> like if you're building a colo or data center space in a colo or you need space like that, that absolutely should be top of mind. Where are all the providers? It's not just like you said about the cost per square foot, right? And the cost of electricity. So it's what, what can I get for that? And there's going to be drastic differences between highly connected places and right. not so highly connected places. Yeah. Yeah. So any other business benefits in the realm of peering? I mean, what we've gone through all this, we've talked about the DFZ, we've talked about settlement free, settlement peering, all these other things. I mean, what does an enterprise, what does the average person sitting here listening to this go? Well, <laughs> that's all good, but... <laughs> Well, I think a lot of enterprises, right? That's going to be the, the end result. And that's the correct answer. This is good to know, but it doesn't really affect, you know, my business. Like Tom said, if your business isn't about transit or connectivity, or you aren't doing some things that are above and beyond, like you said, just 
connecting with customers across the internet. The equation is probably not going to work for you. But then I would, I would also argue, I kind of laughed when you said this, that if your business was about connecting with customers and delivering applications and whatever, aren't you kind of a service provider at that point? I mean, like in, in some definition, you're either a content provider or you're a service provider, you're something. If, if, well, if part of your business value is delivering uh, content across networks, like, isn't that the definition? I mean, it's close. Yeah, well, I think it becomes a little bit more blurry. And Russ is smiling. I think I know yeah. what he's going to no, say. No, I'm, no, I'm thinking, you know, really seriously, a lot of companies don't think about this, but if you're a big bank, part of your service is to get to that app on somebody's phone and give them that alert for some bad thing that just happened on their credit card. And if they do it faster, if you do it faster, you're going to impress your customers and they're going to come back to you. And so you don't think of that as content provisioning, but it is. You're providing content for customers. Um, you provide financial services, but you're also providing content. And it's going to be the same thing for medical people who do medical records and stuff like this. I mean, you got to start thinking, you know, these are eyeballs. I got to get to these eyeballs. The faster I get to the eyeballs, the more engagement I have. The more engagement I have, the more customers I'm going to have. They're happy. And that makes a difference. Yeah, so, I mean, if those things are on, on your equation at all, when it comes to, you know, the value of your business or if they should be, then yeah, yeah. Th these, th these things might be worth considering. Yeah, yeah. All right. I, anything else we want to cover or is that a good place to wrap it up? I think it's a good place to wrap it up. All right. Why don't we, uh, why don't we go around the, uh, the table here and just give everyone an opportunity to share where they could be found. Uh, Tom, why don't we start with you? I'm on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter at uh, Tom Ammon. Excellent. Mara? Uh, I'm uh, available on LinkedIn, Mariana Novakovic. I, I would be concerned if you weren't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Russ, where can people find you? Uh, find me at the Network Collective, rule11.tech, Routing Geek on Twitter, and of course, LinkedIn. I've, I saw you actually posted on Twitter for like the first time in a couple months recently. So I know, I know. Did you I get back on? on? Did, did you I get logged back in. on or did you, uh, that was voluntary? No, yeah, it was later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have these people who fuss at me about it, you know. As they should. You should be on that station. <laughs> <laughs> Yvonne, how about you? Where can people find you? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Sharp Network or on LinkedIn and also, you know, at the Network Collective. Excellent. I'm Jordan Martin at BC Jordan on Twitter, uh, jordanmartin.net. Also, uh, Network Collective. If you like this episode, there are many more like it, thenetworkcollective.com. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, you should go check out the Network Collective community membership. Lots of excellent content for our members, uh, as well as just an absolutely uh, phenomenal Slack channel where lots of uh, conversations going on. If you'd like to learn more about that, that's thenetworkcollective.com slash join. On Twitter, at NetCollectivePC. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere else. We'd love to have a conversation with you. You can tell us all the things we got wrong in this episode. We'd like to hear it. And maybe some of the things we got right, too. That'd be nice, too. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that's it for today. Thanks so much for, uh, for listening and we will see you next time.